I think there's a lot more going on than, than what meets the eyes. And so, you know, we should be, we should be, uh, thinking about all of this from a conspiracy theory, war game, worst case scenario standpoint, because if we plan for the worst and it never happens, who cares? But if we plan for the worst and some version of that happens, we're going to be glad that we did. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Okay, today you're going to hear from the conspiracy theorist side of me, or at least I could be accused of being a conspiracy theorist, but I actually think that there's a lot of truth to um, what's going on right now. The you know, there's just some things that are happening that our mind can't conceive or believe because we're just not that diabolical. But I want to challenge you today, and I think most of my audience is probably, uh, you know, if you're listening to this, you you probably have some level of, um, I guess, critical thinking that causes you to be um, a little bit more on the conspiracy theorist leaning side of things. But I'm telling you, um, I think there's a lot of stuff going on right now that we really need to pay attention to. And I actually think it makes you a better business owner. It makes you a better um, investor. It makes you a better um, human in general, if you at least war game some of your potential scenarios um, out, like what could possibly happen. And by the time you're hearing this, it'll be um, March 13th. So it'll be Monday morning. And Friday, this last Friday, as you know, everybody knows at this point in time, Silicon Valley Bank um, failed. And, you know, for the most part, probably doesn't have a direct impact on, you know, you, the listener, or, you know, maybe even very many people, you know, although, uh, you know, some things I've heard this weekend is that um, Etsy used that bank. I don't know if there's any truth to that. And that, you know, Etsy um, people are, you know, not getting paid. I know several people who worked for companies that uh, they're not funding payroll um, because their uh, finances are seized up in this whole debacle. But anyway, back to the conspiracy theory side of things. I mean, I've, I've been paying attention to some people for a long time. In fact, when my eyes were first opened, um, to, you know, the banking cartel and the way that this was all structured, my father-in-law gave me a book years ago. This had to have been probably in 1999, maybe no, it's probably the year 2000. Um, it was called money and wealth in the new millennium by a guy named Norm Franz. And this just opened my eyes. So this guy was part of, um, the banking industry in the U.S. And then he went to the, um, over to Asia and was part of, uh, again, he was an insider in the industry and also a believer. And, you know, he really started correlating some of the things that were going on with, um, fractional reserve banking and the banking cartels and started paralleling, you know, some of it over to, you know, the ways of God and God's word it really just opened my eyes to some crazy things that were going on. And then of course, being a student of, you know, Robert Kiyosaki and, you know, many others that, um, I I've just listened to over the years. Um, one of my favorite books is currency wars. And if you haven't read that book, you, you might want to pick up a copy of that. By the way, as a side note, if you're interested in 
more conversations like this, uncensored, unedited, um, which we know we can't always do on YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook. I would like to invite you to join the Investing for Freedom elite community. It's $199 a month. Um, we do multiple calls every single week with speakers. Um, I do an Ask Mike Anything almost every week where everybody can just join in via Zoom and ask any of the questions we want. Um, some of my guests on my podcast, um, we, get, we, go we go into backroom conversations in the Freedom Elite. Um, we bring on guests just specifically to talk in there. Terry Judge is coming in on cost segregation this, this upcoming week. Um, I think it's Wednesday or Thursday. Anyway, um, would love to have you in the Investing for Freedom Elite community where we get to have a lot of conversations like this unedited, uncensored, offline and talk about anything that we want to. Um, come and join me. It's months to months. So there's, you know, really no pressure. Um, and at $199, I've actually had some of my mentors and advisors tell me I'm crazy for charging such a low price point, but I want to get this community built so we can get as much information out to as many people as possible. So go ahead and text me, Elite to 480-531-7519. Or you can sign up at freedomelite.co. That's freedomelite.co. Come and join me and let's make some amazing positive changes in our world. Yeah, if you haven't read Currency Wars, though, it's um, by one of my favorite authors, Jim Rickards, and he's got a lot of other amazing books. And, um, you know, he wrote a book during COVID called The, the New Great Depression. And then there's recently one that has just came out that I haven't read yet. Um, about, you know, the supply chain disruption and, and all this stuff that's going on. But anyway, back to the conspiracy theory side of this, I think, um, and maybe we shouldn't even call it that, to be honest, I think it's critical thinking. I think it's being in tune with your intuition about certain things that are going on. And, you know, even back to the Silicon Valley Bank thing, it'll be interesting to see when you're listening to this Monday morning, what happens, because honestly, I think and I'm not advocating for the Fed and the Treasury Department and the government to step in and bail out Silicon Valley Bank um, in any way, shape, or form. But the reality is, most of you know this, um, anybody who had more than $250,000 in that bank is, is not insured. And when you look at the reserves, there was literally $46 billion of money that was withdrawn from Thursday to Friday from Silicon Valley Bank, um, which is what really just put the, the nail in the coffin on this thing. Um, they really only had about $17 billion of um, true spread between, you know, the deposits that they had versus the, the loans that they had put out. And a lot of what this bank was investing um, their, their deposits into was 10-year mortgage-backed securities on the treasury side of things as well. 10-year um, and so there's no way that they could have, could have even gotten access to this anyway. And so, you know, from, from one perspective, I agree wholeheartedly, the government should not step in and, sh and save Silicon Valley Bank. However, and again, I'm not advocating for or against this. Um, the reality is all of those um, people that banked at that bank have employees, they have investments, they have limited partners, they have people that invested not in the bank, but in the companies that are literally going to go bankrupt because they're not going to get their money um, for a year, two years, three years. And even when they do, it could be pennies on the dollar. And so, you know, there's hundreds of thousands of employees that are going to be impacted by this. And here's the thing that I really want to point out. This isn't just Silicon Valley Bank. And this is where the conspiracy theory guy in me kind of starts, uh, I guess, just going off. You know, I heard uh, a quote or a statement by Janet Yellen, and she was saying that, you know, you, if, you're, if you're banking at a regional bank, you need to, you need to really be careful. 
Why would you say something like that when they know that this is happening? Because when the entire world um, knows that, number one, this bank is just going under flat out. And then number two, um, when you make statements like that and it causes everybody to start getting concerned and, and pulling their money out of these regional banks that could already be struggling, um, that could cause, th- this could literally be this, the black swan event that, that causes the economy to implode. And I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer or, you know, put fear and concern out there. But when you say things like that, it causes further panic. And it, you know, just like when COVID hit, and nobody knew what anything was, there's this contagion that's happening, you know, where there's this disease, this virus, that's going to kill all of us. Um, Everybody just starts freaking out. I did. Um, Didn't take me long to get my head straight. But at first, I was like, what the heck's going on here? And that's, that's what's, potentially could happen in the banking industry this coming week. And if we start seeing failures more and more and more um, over the next few weeks, because people are pulling their money out of these banks, um, this could be, this could be an, like just an unraveling of the economic system that we really need to be paying attention to. Now, here's what I'm not saying. Um, If you have more than $250,000 in one bank that you're not confident in, you should spread that money out. But it's statements like I just made that could potentially cause fear. And so here's the thing. And again, I'm not advocating for the government stepping in or not stepping in. But the reality is, if they don't step in today, uh, which it's Sunday right now, but, you know, Monday, if they don't cause some, I guess, uh, you know, here's the thing. What really is the American dollar? It's it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government, right? And so if the United States government doesn't step in here and create some confidence in the banking industry, ultimately meaning that, hey, number one, we're going to step in and we're not going to bail out Silicon Valley Bank, but we're going to have a bigger bank, which is probably going to be Chase, JP Morgan, um, or, or one of these larger banks. We're going to have a bank step in and take all of this over. And all of you depositors, don't worry. We are going to back this. And so what the government would literally have to tell this bank, let's say it's JP Morgan, they'd have to tell JP Morgan, hey, step in, um, make everybody whole. We will influx the capital needed. And don't worry we'll make it we'll make it right to you. So let's just say for instance that there's 40 cents on the dollar that's left and let's just say that I think there was close to 200 billion dollars of deposits in this bank that were owed to people. Um so basically if they if the bank's worth you know let's say $60 million at this point in time, then that would be 30 cents on the dollar. And so the government literally has to say to JP Morgan, hey, listen, um, step in here, take over this bank, make all the depositors whole, keep payroll going, everything else. And we guarantee that if it is 30 cents on the dollar, uh, so meaning it's worth, you know, 60 billion, but, but people need their 200 billion of access, um, we will fund the other 140 billion through printing. And, you know, there's all these conversations. And again, I'm not saying that I think we should or shouldn't do that. But if the government doesn't step in and build some confidence around this, I think we're going to see a snowball effect happening um, with many other um, banks uh, that could create challenges. And here's where the conspiracy theory guy in me steps in. Okay, several things. Number one, when I hear Janet Yellen saying, um, be careful of the regional banks, um, why would you say that? Unless you wanted to, I, I guess, you know, from, from one perspective, maybe she's doing the right thing and, and telling people, Hey, you should watch out. But there's part of me that thinks that maybe they actually 
want this to happen. And it's interesting because just like in the real estate market, every time there's a real estate crash, the bigger boys, the Blackstones, the Black Rocks, they get more and more and more of these assets, right? And it's the smaller, you know, players that get wiped out. Well, maybe it's the same thing in the banking cartel. Maybe if some of these smaller uh, banks that the Fed can't, you know, control as much or doesn't have a stake in because, you know, the board of the Federal Reserve is really just made up of the banking cartel anyway. And so is this just a play? Here's where the conspiracy guy comes up. Is this just a play for regional banks to fail? And when a regional bank that's worth $200 billion or has $200 billion worth of, you know, deposits, um, when it fails and then JP Morgan can pick it up for, you know, 60 cents or 30 cents on the dollar. That's just a way for the big to just get bigger, the rich to just get richer. And by the way, I'm an advocate, I'm a capitalist, right? Um, so I'm not saying we should bail them out. And I'm not saying that, you know, it's a bad thing that healthy banks get healthier. But the reality is the only reason that the healthy banks get healthier is because they're backed by the banking cartel and the treasury department. And obviously the federal reserve is a big part of this. Um, and they got big lobbyists and everything else. So I, I'm a capitalist, but at the same time, uh, I'm not sure that, you know, that these regional banks should get wiped out and not get help when the government is basically helping the big banks to grow. And the reality is, it's not even really about these banks. It's about all the people that had more than $250,000 in there. There's literally companies that had, you know, $100 million in this bank um, of exposure, probably more. These are just some of them that I've heard about um, that have just lost everything. So there's all these great companies um, that are going bankrupt, not because, you know, they're not running their business the way that they should, or not because, you know, they don't have great employees or not because they're not innovating and creating great product, but simply because um, of banking regulations and the way that everything's structured. And the, these companies, so many companies are just going to go out of business. And, you know, the other side of that argument would be, well, you know what, you're, that's the risk that you, you know, that you're only insured up you know, over 250,000 and you should know that. Well, you know, when, a, when, a, when somebody has, you know, a million dollars, they have to spread that between four banks. That's not that difficult. But when there's, you know, a hundred million dollars to try to spread that out is next to impossible. And, you know, many people might say, probably not most of you that are listening to this, but you know, well, I mean, so sad for them. They had a hundred million dollars and they just lost it, whatever. Well, I don't, I just don't know how you solve this. And again, back to the, um, the conspiracy theory side of me is like, even when we're talking about inflation, the federal reserve has two triggers that they can pull here. It's slowing down consumer spending. And, you know, part of that the economy in general is like through interest rates, raise interest rates and the housing market should cool off and people should stop spending money. And when credit cards go from 7% to, you know, 27%, obviously that's a big disparity, but uh, in reality, like spending should slow down and inflation should slow down. And that's what they're trying to do. But the other lever they have is unemployment. If people are making money and the jobs market is really strong, then it's really hard to slow down um, inflation as well, because when people are making good money, it's, they just keep spending it. So when you look at all of this, and I don't really think that the federal reserves or excuse me, well, yeah, I don't really think that the feds, um, policies are working as fast as they thought and unemployment. There's literally two jobs in America right now for every one person that's unemployed. Um, we do have a skills problem and I understand all of that, but the jobs market is actually still pretty strong. And so, the conspiracy theory side of me wants to say too, well, you know what, if a whole bunch of, you know, businesses failed, 
because they can't make payroll and a whole bunch of people now get unemployed. And I'm not saying that the Federal Reserve or the Treasury Department or any of this is doing this on purpose. Maybe they are, maybe they aren't. But maybe also, you know, there's an old statement, um, you know, who wants to who wants to waste a great opportunity? And this might just be a great opportunity. Um, I, I think the statement actually says something along the lines of, um, you know, we should never waste a, a, a good tragedy or something like that. Um, and, and I can't remember who said this, but it was somebody in government or the Fed or something. And, and so I'm thinking just along those lines, maybe the Fed's not causing this, but maybe they're also, you know, from the other side of it, not rushing to help solve it. And the Treasury Department, not just the Fed, obviously, because it's not really the Fed's total responsibility to solve this. Um, the Fed's responsibility is really to, you know, keep inflation in check and, and it's obviously out of control right now. So maybe the Treasury Department and maybe the current administration and, you know, maybe the powers that be, Republican, Democrat, everybody, um, maybe this is an opportunity for us to implode the jobs market too and cause a real impact um, by just letting things be. So, you know, I don't know the answer to any of this. I don't know if the Fed's going to jump in and the Treasury Department's going to jump in and, and you know, help with any of this. And I'm, I don't know whether they should or shouldn't. But the reality is there's going to be hundreds of thousands, millions of people impacted um, directly by the Silicon Valley Bank. And the, and the fallout you're going to see, you know, over months because companies are going to go bankrupt. People are not going to get paid. And then the trickle-down effect from that is going to be huge, not just on unemployment, um, but on further jobs and hiring and even, you know, um, you're, you're going to take a whole year, maybe two years, three years out of um, innovation and maybe decade. This might be a lost decade because of, you know, the innovation that's lost because of companies that fail because of this fallout. And then if the government doesn't step in and do something and we see further failures in regional banks, um, you know, if, if a million people are impacted by Silicon Valley banks closure, and then we have, you know, 10 or 15 or 20 more bank failures, this could be bad. This could be really bad. And again, I know there's some people out there that are probably saying, well, you know, uh, the bank should have, you know, been more solvent and liquid. And, and, and maybe there's some truth to that. Um, I don't really, you know, I haven't really seen, I've seen parts of the balance sheet and stuff, but I haven't really dissected it. But the reality is, you know, this bank was okay until they got ran on their deposits. Once they started, you know, everybody started figuring out that the bank was actually having some liquidity issues um, and that it wasn't okay. And then the, and then there was a big run on deposits. That's when this thing really started unwinding. And yeah, you know, I know that the executives, you know, selling off stock three, three weeks ago, all that stuff happened. I've seen all of that and I'm not making excuses for them. And I'm not saying we should bail out the executives at Silicon Valley Bank. But what I am saying is this could be a deep, deep, deep problem that if not slowed down, could be the black swan event that causes a, you know, COVID type scenario, um, a 2008 type scenario, um, a savings and loan debacle type scenario. So um, just going to be interesting to see how this all plays out um, and just wanted to add some color. And, and here's, I'll close with this, the conspiracy theory in us, whether you're a business owner, whether you're a W2 employee, whether you're an investor, whatever it is, I think we should not be enamored by and consumed by conspiracy theory. Um, but I think we should be paying attention to um, worst case scenarios. And I think we should always have a plan B. And, you know, what happens if my bank failed? How much exposure do I have? We never think it would happen to us. What happens if 
Um, you know, we can't get food. What happens if we can't get water? What happens if we don't have power or heat or air conditioning? Um, because all of this is a reality. Um, you know, when we think about, there's a part of me that thinks we're at war. We're at war with China. We're at war with Russia. And even if it's not the government directly, we're at war with hackers. Your information's not safe. Um, you know, our grid, we've seen this so many times. I'm living in Texas now, but it was crazy to me when I moved to Texas and people are just freaking out when the weather's going to hit 30 degrees. You know, I used to live in Northeastern Nevada that would get, you know, to 10 below, but we had snow plows, we had sand vehicles. We, you know, we were ready for it. Our infrastructure was ready for it. And here in Texas, they weren't ready for it. And still it's been, it's been chaos. I've never seen the stores so empty other than like COVID as, as what happens before a freeze is coming here in Texas. But it points out like how weak our infrastructure is and our power grids. And, you know, we're not ready. We're not ready for, for this stuff. And when you look at, you know, the average store having three days supply of, you know, food. And when we look at the supply chain issues that happened during COVID, we should really be, even if we're not conspiracy theorists, we should be wargaming some of this out. And what I love about Jim Rickards, the author that I alluded to earlier that wrote Currency Wars, he's actually a consultant for the CIA and the Treasury Department and the Federal Reserve. And they've been wargaming financial uh, war games for a while. Like, you know, how, like if, if China and Russia, um, you know, could totally disrupt our banking economy by doing certain things. And, you know, they, they war game all this stuff out, supply chain stuff and everything. And so, yeah, our government's not stupid. A lot of times we think that they're dumb, but collectively, I, I don't think they're dumb. And I think there's a lot more going on than, than what meets the eyes. And so, you know, we should be, we should be, uh, thinking about all of this from a conspiracy theory, war game, worst case scenario standpoint, because if we plan for the worst and it never happens, who cares? But if we plan for the worst and some version of that happens, we're going to be glad that we did. And, you know, Kara used to laugh at me because I've had food storage and, you know, guns, ammo. Um, I'm, I have gas masks. <laughs> um, I'm kind of a crazy guy, but you know what? I would rather have it and not need it than need it and not have it. And so even when it comes to, you know, thinking about your bank and your savings and where you're invested and all of that, you know, when this happened, um, even our, even our self-directed, you know, 401ks and IRAs and all of that kind of stuff, you never really think about this or I mean, even not just, not even just your self-directed, but your 401ks, like wherever you have that thing housed, Morgan Stanley or whatever, you know, they're a bank too. And uh, our deposits are somewhere out there. And Kiyosaki's been saying this for years, but you know, when you look at money, currency, it's one person's liability and it's one person's asset. And this is counterparty risk, which I don't want to get into the depth of all of this right now, but there's a ton of counterparty risk. And that's what happened to this bank. Because every time you put $100 in that bank, they're allowed to go lend that money out. Um, what used to be, you know, up to 90%. And now it's just like, I think that's even all out the window with rules that changed during COVID and everything else. I don't know that for sure, but I, I think that's the case. But even at 90%, you put $100 in Silicon Valley Bank and they're going to go lend 90 percent of that out or put it into mortgage-backed securities or, you know, create some sort of spread there. And so the reality is if you want to go get your hundred dollars out and everybody else does too, it's not there. If 10 people put a hundred dollars into Silicon Valley bank, and so there's a thousand dollars on deposit 
and they lend out 900 of it and all 10 of us want to go get our money, there's no way they can make that whole. And that's the way that this just happened. Um, and that's what's going on here. And so we have to understand the fractional reserve banking system, which is not a conspiracy theory that is written in the mandate. That's the way our banking system is structured. It's been that way for a long time. And so again, if 10 of us put $1,000 in that bank, they're going to lend out 900 of it at least and probably more. And it gets even deeper than that because if they lend the 900 to people that bank there and then those people go put that 900 back in, then they can do it all over again. Now it's 810. And so this thing is deep, deep, deep. And so we should be thinking about all of this. And again, just even with our, you know, investments. And I I was talking to a, a very uh, experienced investor and they're like, you know what, we're looking at, we're going to be a lot more cautious about you know, where we put our money and even asking the investments we make, like, how do you guys bank this thing? This thing is an eye opener for many people and it should be for you too. And hopefully, you know, the government figures out how to do something here. Cause if they don't, um, and again, I'm not advocating for what's right and what's wrong here. Um, you know, let it fail, et cetera. I get all that. But I think if confidence isn't instilled, we could have some serious challenges in the next uh, few months. And so I'll be interested to see how this all plays out. But I think that conspiracy theory guy that's in you or girl that's in you, um, you should let him spend a little bit more time with you on a daily basis, just, you know, wargaming out, uh, you know, are you safe? Are you solid? Could you survive, you know, an implosion of the banking system? Could you, could you survive, you know, a winter storm with no power? Could you survive without food for, you know, a month or two months, um, on and on and on. So anyway, um, enough of all that. Thanks for listening and hope this brings you some value. By the way, as a side note, if you're interested in more conversations like this, uncensored, unedited, um, which we know we can't always do on YouTube, um, Instagram, Facebook, I would like to invite you to join the Investing for Freedom elite community. It's $199 a month. Um, we do multiple calls every single week with speakers. Um, I do an Ask Mike Anything almost every week where everybody can just join in via Zoom and ask any of the questions we want. Um, some of my guests on my podcast, um, we, get, we, go we go into backroom conversations in the Freedom Elite. Um, we bring on guests just specifically to talk in there. Terry Judge is coming in on cost segregation this, this upcoming week. Um, I think it's Wednesday or Thursday. Anyway, um, would love to have you in the Investing for Freedom Elite community where we get to have a lot of conversations like this, unedited, uncensored, offline, and talk about anything that we want to. Um, come and join me. It's month to month, so there's you know really no pressure. Um, and at $199, i have actually had some of my mentors and advisors tell me I'm crazy for charging such a low price point, but I want to get this community built so we can get as much information out to as many people as possible. So go ahead and text me, Elite to 480-531-7519. Or you can sign up at freedomelite.co. That's freedomelite.co. Come and join me and let's make some amazing positive changes in our world. If you've found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.